for our sermon passage this morning as we continue in our series on the parables of Jesus. I invite you to turn in God's word to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and this morning we'll be looking at verses 13 through 21 of the 12th chapter according to Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Hear now the reading of the word of God. Someone in the crowd said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, that is Jesus, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let us pray. Almighty Father in heaven, we ask that your spirit would now work through the preaching of your word. I ask that you would humble me and that through your word people would see Christ and hear the words of Christ and how we are to live our lives as your people, as citizens of your kingdom. Oh Lord, we confess that we fall short of this and so we ask that you would remind us anew and stir up our spirits once again to follow after your ways, to be obedient to your word. Through Christ our Lord and Savior we pray. Amen. Money and possessions. Money and things. We all need money in order to live. We use money to put a roof over our head, a possession. We use money to clothe ourselves, the possessions of clothing. We use money to feed ourselves, the possessions of food and a pantry. There is a level of basic necessity when it comes to money and possessions. And yet, because we are sinners living in a fallen world, it is very tempting and easy for us to misuse our money and our possessions in a variety of ways. We can be miserly and underspend. We can be immoderate and overspend. We can use money to commit murder if you hire a hitman. You can use money to commit adultery. You can steal money and possessions. Money and possessions can be used to, to violate just about every one of the Ten Commandments. We can covet money when we don't have any. 
We can covet things when we don't have any. Or when we do, we want more and more. We're not satisfied with what we have. In the worldview of Scripture, the way one uses money and other possessions reveals your true self. It reveals your heart. In a sense, the way you use money reveals who you are. So as citizens of the kingdom of God, Jesus tells us this parable here in the 12th chapter of Luke. In order for us to know as his disciples how we are to make use of our money and our things. In verses 13 and 14, I first want us to see the occasion for this parable. The occasion for the parable. What is the real life situation that leads to Jesus teaching a kingdom truth in the form of a parable? According to verse 13, it is an inheritance squabble. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Someone in Jesus' crowd is wanting Jesus as a rabbi. Notice he calls him teacher. He wants Jesus, acting as a rabbi, to settle a dispute he has with his brother over the inheritance. Now, we don't know what this other brother has done. Perhaps the other brother has wronged the one who is appealing to Jesus by not giving him his share of the inheritance. Some think that the one appealing to Jesus is in the wrong. And he wants to have an equal share of the inheritance when according to the rule and legislation of the Old Testament, the oldest brother got a double portion. Whatever the situation may be, the one crying out from the crowd has phrased the situation in a way that he wants Jesus to be favorable to him and arbitrate against his brother who is not there to defend himself. Notice, you can hear it in the way that he, he phrases the, the, the statement or the command, really. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He phrases it in a way, my brother is in the wrong. I have been treated unjustly. I need you to decide in my favor in this matter. So Jesus responds in verse 14 and basically says that his mission on earth is not to settle personal disputes. Jesus' mission on earth was not to settle personal disputes. This is not why Jesus came down from heaven. Jesus phrases his response in verse 14 as a rhetorical question that expects the answer to be nobody. Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? It recalls to mind the Israelites' rebuke of Moses in Exodus chapter 2, verse 14. To re remind you of the story that's going on there, Moses sees two Israelites fighting the day after Moses saw an Egyptian and an Israelite fighting, and Moses killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. Well, he sees two Israelites fighting together the next day, and he tries to intervene, and one of the Israelites says to Moses, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Of course, the only way one could be a prince or judge over others was if God had set them up as a prince or judge. 
So Jesus is essentially saying that this is not his divinely appointed mission and commission from God. Jesus had not appointed Jesus, uh, God had not appointed Jesus in his incarnate ministry to judge personal disputes. Rather, he was to judge the world in righteousness. God had not appointed Jesus in his incarnate ministry to legislate the Old Testament law, but to fulfill the Old Testament's law. So Jesus dismisses the proposed lawsuit because it is not before the proper judge. He's taken it to the wrong court. Matthew Henry points out, quote, If he had come to Jesus to desire him to assist his pursuit of the heavenly inheritance, Christ would have given him his best help. But as to this matter, Jesus has nothing to do. End quote. But rather than just leave it at that, Jesus does use this opportunity to teach his followers, you and me, about desiring and using money as a citizen of heaven. And this leads us to our second point. We've seen the occasion of the parable. In our second point, verses 15 through 19, we see that covetousness and discipleship are incompatible. Covetousness and discipleship are incompatible. Jesus immediately issues a warning to his followers in verse 15. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Two commands here that Jesus starts with to reinforce each other. Take care or, or pay attention and be on your guard. Take care, pay attention, be on your guard. It's defensive commands. We have to, to watch over our hearts as well as be on guard against the devices of the evil one who would seek to draw us away from Christ through the temptations of this world. And we saw a lot of those temptations enumerated in the section of Revelation that we just read. All the, all the glitter and the shiny things that this world has to offer. We are in a battle, ladies and gentlemen, against the remaining sin of our flesh. We are in a battle against the evil one who is opposed to you and me as God's people. And we are in a battle against the unbelieving world system with all of its temptations. Specifically, in this instance, Jesus warns us to be prepared for battle against the sin of covetousness or greediness. It's the sin of wanting more at all costs, whether you need it or not, and whether it hurts somebody else or not in the accumulation of it. You've got to have it. It's that never satisfied, that never content desire that wants to accumulate more and more. And the entire focus of the sin is on self. Me. To put it another way, a covetous or a greedy person finds his or her identity in possessions. Finds his or her identity and possessions. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, he who gets the most toys and dies is the winner. 
It's attributed to Malcolm Forbes, as in Forbes magazine. That's the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying here in verse 15. Your life, your identity, meaningful and satisfying experience and existence is not to be found in the abundance of possessions. Your possessions are not a measure of your true worth as a human being. I'll say that again. Your possessions are not a measure of your true worth as a human being. Your abundance of possessions is not what truly matters and is not what this life is all about. And so Jesus tells a parable about the folly of living one's life in order to simply get and get more or to measure and value one's life by how much they have. In this parable, beginning in verse 16, we're introduced to a man who is already rich, the land of a rich man. He already has more than enough, but the land of this rich man produced plentifully. He gets even richer, verse 16 says. So what does he decide to do with this even greater supply? that he really doesn't need because he's already rich. He decides to enlarge himself. Verse 18, after speaking to himself, what, what am I going to do? I have nowhere to store my crops. Well, that's not really true. He does have storage places. What he means is I have nowhere to store all of this extra. He says in verse 18, I will tear down my barns that are already existing and I will build myself larger ones, and they'll be so large that not only will I be able to store all of my grain in it, but I'll be able to store everything that I have in it, my grain and my goods. Rather than using his greater supply, his, his extra to help others or to be generous with it, he hoards it all to, for himself. Notice the self-interest, by the, the repeated use of the first-person plural, the word I, as well as the possessive pronoun my, I and my. What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops, he says in verse 17. I will do this. I will tear down. I will store, verse 18. I will say to my soul, verse 19. And then the word my, my crops, verse 17, my barns, my grain, my goods, verse 18. You hear the, the emphasis on the, the, the self-focus. It's all about me, me, me. He's the me monster. If you're familiar with that joke by Brian Regan, the me monster. So after all is said and done, in verse 19, this man decides that he can settle into a life of complete leisure and self-indulgence. A life of complete leisure and self-indulgence. Notice he speaks to himself in verse 19, and you can hear the, the arrogant pride in how the man addresses himself. I will say to my soul, soul, self, you have ample goods laid up. For many years, let's relax, let's eat, let's drink, 
let's be merry. The man assumes a long life. I have ample goods laid up for many years, verse 19, when Scripture tells us that we do not know our days. Proverbs 27 and James chapter 4 both tell us that we're not guaranteed tomorrow, and we have no idea what tomorrow will bring. The man assumes that the great produce of the land that he has currently experienced will continue on for many years. This is his expectation. Oh, the land has done very well. It's going to continue to do well. And I'm just going to get more and more and more. In other words, he expects the land to produce plentifully in the years to come so he can continue his self-indulgent and covetous lifestyle. And so picture it in your minds. There's a man who's, who's kicking back, laying his feet up on a table, and that, that it's a really long table, and it's been prepared with all sorts of luxurious foods, a feast, and it's all for himself. And he's just looking at it all and taking it in. <sighs> I have arrived. This is the good life. One parable scholar puts it this way, quote, This is a negative example of a man who foolishly trusts in his possessions. Someone who misses life by presuming possessions are life. I'll say that last part again. Someone who misses life by presuming that possessions are life, end quote. And so this parable reinforces what Jesus said in verse 15. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. The desire to gain more and more is at odds with being a disciple of Christ. Who was it that caused the man's land to produce plentifully? It was God who gave the rain and caused the sun to shine to work together and give the, the growth to the produce. It was God who had made the man rich already to begin with, through however, whatever means he had uh, enriched himself. This man was providentially blessed by God, yet he did not acknowledge God as God, but rather acknowledged himself and all that he had. There's no thought for thankfulness to God. There's no thought for gratitude to God. There's no thought for how to use this abundance for God's glory. No thought for how to be a, a good and wise steward. There's a complete absence of any mark of being a disciple of Christ. A disciple acknowledges God's sovereignty in what they possess or do not possess. A disciple seeks to use what they possess to God's glory. A disciple desires to be a good and faithful and wise steward of what God has given to him or to her. A disciple recognizes that even if all is taken away, to be a part of Christ is to have everything. Though he slay me, yet shall I live. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world 
and yet forfeit his soul. Covetousness and discipleship are at odds with one another. The disciple desires more of Christ and to be more faithful to Christ. How can I be like Christ in this situation? How can I be like Christ with what he has blessed me with as an as a, a way of rendering thanks unto God, acknowledging that what I have is simply given to me in trust for a short time, perhaps 60 or 70 or 80 years. The covetous one desires more possessions and to hoard those possessions for himself. You could put it this way, the, the disciple lives for Christ, while the coveter lives for self. You cannot serve two masters. You will serve one and hate the other, or love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So you're either desiring Christ and living for Christ, or you are desiring self and more for yourself. And finally, from verses 20 through 21, we see covetousness lives for today. Covetousness lives for today, while discipleship lives for the future. Covetousness lives for today, while discipleship lives for the future. So we've been given the man's evaluation of himself in verse 19. I've got plenty, and I'm just going to kick back and relax and eat and drink and be merry. Jesus now turns in the parable to God's evaluation of the man. And look at what God calls this man in verse 20. Fool. He is a man who acts like there is no God, regardless of whether he claims to believe in a God or not. He's a practical atheist, in spite of whatever profession he may make with his mouth. Perhaps he's Jew. Of course I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, you're not living like one. You're living like there is no God except you as your own God. And so God's evaluation of this man is that he's a fool. He's a fool to find his identity or his happiness in the things of this world. This world. And so God tells the foolish rich man, this night your soul, that you assumed would have many years of luxury and relaxation. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, the things you've gathered up, whose will they be? The implied answer is they're not going to be yours any longer. God could have taken away this man's possessions through famine, through raiders, but instead God takes away the man's life. The word translated required here in the, the ESV in verse 20 literally means to demand back. It depicts our lives as being on loan to us from God who recalls our lives to himself whenever the terms of that loan are up. All of our days are written in his book, when as yet there were none of them. 
And we saw in our Ecclesiastes series the vanity of acquiring things in life because we will leave all that we have worked for to somebody who hasn't worked for it. In this man's case, he has all this stuff, but it seems like he has nobody to whom he can leave it. It's it's a reminder that all of our things will eventually pass on to somebody else who will have it for a little while and then pass it on to somebody else who will have it for a little while and so forth and so on until kingdom come. Our possessions are within our control only for a little while. And then comes death. And then comes judgment. In which we all stand before the, the judgment seat, the tribunal of God's court, and have to give an account of the way we lived our lives. Covetousness lives for today. Discipleship, there's no thought of judgment, there's no thought of eternity, there's no thought of a life beyond this one. If you read through the book of Revelation, unbelievers are always described throughout the book of Revelation as those who dwell on earth. They're earth dwellers. They live for the earth. But scripture tells us that our lives are hidden in Christ who is seated in the heavenly places. Our lives are not on this earth. Our lives are in heaven. Our inheritance is not here on this earth. Our inheritance is reserved for us in heaven. This is what we've been seeing on our Wednesday night study. Unbelievers do not believe there's a a coming judgment. They don't think there's an end goal for human history or that there's a point to human existence. They live for today with no thought for tomorrow. Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 15... uh, the attitude of a person who, who, the attitude of the way that we should be if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Christ, uh, Paul says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If Christ has not been raised from the dead for our justification, sanctification, and glorification. It's exactly what this fool said. Eat, drink, and be merry. There's no thought for the future. There's no thought for eternity, future glory, anything beyond this life. This is it, and that's all there is to it. So I'm just going to get more and more, and he who gets the most toys and dies, he's the winner. Not in God's economy. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow after him. Jesus tells us that discipleship is through death to self, putting to death the deeds of the sinful self, including covetousness, because there is more to life than material possessions. There is such a thing as spiritual possessions, and that is of eternal importance. Do you possess Christ? That is what matters. Do you have his spirit living within you by faith in the work and person of Jesus Christ as God's down payment 
that he will bring you all the way home to glory. Psalm 49, verses 16 through 17 say, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. You cannot take material possessions with you when you die. But there is something that continues on after the body dies. We just confessed it in our confession from the Scots Confession of 1560. The soul continues on. And the soul that possesses Christ will enjoy all the riches of God in Christ Jesus. Peace, joy, happiness. Because we are in Christ, we are rich in grace, we are rich in faith, we are rich in spiritual gifts, and we are called to be rich in good works. 1 Timothy 6.18 We are to be rich in good works. The disciple of Christ lives with an eye toward the future. As I've already said, we live between two worlds. The unbeliever lives only for this world because in their worldview, this world is all that there is to it. There is no world to come. So Jesus sums it all up for us in verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You're like that fool if you're laying up treasure for yourself rather than laying up treasure in heaven. The one who stores up riches for himself is a fool and will be called to account by God one day. But the wise person is the one who stores up for God through generosity, gratitude, and stewardship as fruits of a life that has been redeemed by Christ, not to be saved, but as demonstration of a life that has been changed by the grace and mercy of God in Christ Jesus. I recognize that everything I have, my wife, my children, my life, my health, my house, my car, my job, everything I have is on loan to me from God. And he calls me to use it wisely. Use it for his, good, his glory rather than for my own sinful self. And so I can give it away because it's not truly mine. I can give it away because it is a gift. I can receive from God's hand with gratitude whatever he sends me, whether it is a little or a lot, because through Christ we are being more and more enabled to live unto God and to live less to self. We don't live for ourselves anymore because we do not belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to Christ. He has redeemed us. He has purchased us with his own blood. He is our master whom we serve. So we are to be rich toward him who purchased us with his own blood. You cannot covet and be rich toward yourself and be rich toward God at the same time. They're utterly opposed to one another. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. 
This also is vanity. It is hevel, meaningless, temporary. There is only one who truly and eternally satisfies, and that is Christ Jesus. He tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, you know the rest of it, there your heart will be also. And here we see where the fool's treasure and heart were. In the musical, Fiddler on the Roof, Tevya sings a song. It's my favorite song in the whole musical. If I were a rich man. If I were a rich man. And later, when he is told that money is a curse, here's how he responds. May the Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover. We all have this desire for more things. If I just had a little bit more, I would be happy. If I was just married, if you're a single person, if I was just married, I would be happy. I remember having that sort of attitude. I remember thinking, um, if I was just ordained and in pastoral ministry, I would be happy. We all seek something in this life to bring us happiness. When Scripture, God's self-revelation says, no, I am the only one who can satisfy you. I am the one who makes you happy in Christ Jesus. But we end up pursuing pleasure and security, and we think that those things are obtained via what we possess. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying Jesus condemns being wealthy. Abraham, David, and Solomon are just a few examples of believers who are wealthy by God's sovereign providence. The issue is how tightly we cling to what God has loaned out to us. And whether we, are, whether we will or will not recognize that they are loans from God. Do our possessions possess us, or do we possess them? Do they possess us, or do we possess them? You can be covetous and greedy whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, because it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue, and ultimately it comes down to this, according to our passage from today. For whom are you storing up? For whom are you storing up? Self or God? Yes, we need a certain amount of provisions to meet our basic needs. Money and possessions are not intrinsically bad. They come to us from God. They are taken from us by God. But they are not to possess us. So if you're the family or the kind of person that that makes a budget, let me encourage you. The next time you look at your budget, use it as a mirror, a mirror to your heart. 
How am I spending my money? Where are my possessions going? Don't live yearning for every meal to be at Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Although it is nice to eat there on very, very special occasions, if you can afford it. Don't live yearning for wads of cash in your wallet, although it's handy to have cash on you from time to time. Don't live yearning to be decked out in fancy jewelry that you can show off how wealthy you are to others, although it is nice to have a couple of nice pieces of jewelry. And I'll just take my wife's word for that. I don't know because I don't wear jewelry. Live with a yearning for Christ. Be rich toward him and live for him as one called out from the world by him. Amen and amen.